Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. For Panther fans who want to keep pounding. Who want an inside look at the vault? This 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 is views from Midstream. Now, here's your host, Lonzo Wrightsell and Rob Brown. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome into another edition of the Views from Mint Street podcast, your home for Carolina Panther football talk around the Carolinas, around the nation, around the world. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen. It is, as always, great to have you joining us for another episode of, I say us, because my name is Rob Brown. Hello, host of the Rob Brown Show, which airs nine to noon weekdays in Greenville, South Carolina, right here in the heart of Panthers country and joining me as always on the pod, my co-host, my partner in crime and it's his birthday. Well, it may not be your birthday by the time you're listening to this, but like while we're recording this, it's his birthday. Happy birthday and hello, Lonzo Wright. So what's up, big fella? Thank you for the birthday wishes. And you know what? When you're hearing this for the first time, it is still my birthday because you're hearing it for the first time. It is. And drop him a happy birthday on Twitter at Lonzo on Word. Lonzo on Word on Twitter. I am at the Rob Brown Show. We. You know what, you know what I'd rather have? I'd rather have a Panther Money? victory. I'd, oh, rather have, oh. I'd rather have a Panther victory than, you know, well, birthday wishes. We are going to get into that. And obviously, before we start our pod that drops now, we'll go ahead and preview that on Friday. We'll drop our pod, which will preview this weekend's matchup as NFC South play opens up when the Saints of New Orleans come to the bank in Charlotte to take on the Panthers. And we're going to get into all of that in the X's and O's of that particular game. Did you purposefully avoid saying when they come marching in? Did you purposefully avoid? I didn't think of it. You know, I'm not that smart. And also this is uh, broadcasting hour number four today. So no, I'm, I'm just not that creative. I wish I would have been. That would have sounded great and been a nice little tagline, but I didn't. It is what it is. All I got to say is you're welcome. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, I have to bring up something. You know, in this pod, in the in the midweek pod, ordinarily what we're doing is we're talking about press conferences, which Lonzo and I watched a few of before we came on the air. We're talking about injury reports and updates that have come in, which fortunately there's not much to report on that front going into week three. But I wanted to get into something that I noticed, Zoe, when I was putting the prep together for today's show. I was, as I always do, skipping around different websites, looking to just make sure 
that I hadn't missed any stories that were dropping right before we sat down here at the Radio Ranch in the palatial studios of the Fan Up State in Greenville to talk Panther football. And I noticed something. When I went to the front page of both ESPN and Yahoo Sports, you know, they they break it down. They've got the front page, then the NFL page, and then on the NFL page, you can go to the individual NFL teams pages. Each franchise has its own page. Well, I clicked on on both ESPN and the Panthers pages, right? And on both ESPN and Yahoo's Panther pages, specifically Yahoo, but I went back to check ESPN to make sure I hadn't missed something. On both of those pages, Lonzo, the majority, and when I say majority, I mean majority of the news stories linked to the Carolina Panthers page were all New York Giants stories, right? In fact, I I went to, and I'll, I'll go ahead and pull it up and see if it's changed, but I went, and I'll start with the Yahoo Sports page, but I went to the Yahoo Sports website, which I'm doing again right now just to make sure that I'm, I'm you know, I didn't miss anything with an inherent bias. But I went to the Yahoo Sports Carolina Panther page, and I opened it up. And at the top, they've got their video player. And on their video player, when I went and looked it up, the first five videos that played, the first five videos that played were all Brian Dabble and the New York Giants. And I thought, all right, that can't be that bad, right? Like that can't be that bad. That is that has got to be uh, that has got to be just a, a coincidence, right? So then I went and looked at the articles. The first article at the top of the page is Matt Rule believes Panthers are so close to getting over that last hump, and we're going to talk about that later on. The next article is I laughed when my neighbor put it on his gutters, but that's an advertisement. The third article, NFL power rankings. Lions tied for NFC North, so it doesn't have a Carolina contingent there. The th- the fourth article, from Giants Wire, Panthers Matt Rule, crowd noise was a factor in loss to Giants, and it talks about how great uh, the stadium environment was when the Panthers were at New York. The next article, from Sports Illustrated, New York Giants Week 2 by the numbers. The next article, from Giants Wire, Giants Leonard Williams' sprained MCL listed day-to-day. The next article, NFL Power Rankings, Dolphins, Eagles, Packers surging after week two. The next article, NFL Power Rankings, week three, where Bears stand after loss versus Packers. The next article, New York Giants, week two, rewind. The next article uh, was about Derrick Henry's suit. The next article, unbeaten Giants can't afford to believe hype facing Dallas. The next article, New York Giants, three takeaways from week two win versus uh, versus, uh, Panthers. Of the top ten articles... One of them was about the Carolina Panthers. And maybe I'm misreading this. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm giving in to an inherent bias here. It feels to me as if right now the Panthers are irrelevant to the National Football League. They have lost nine in a row. They have not won a home game since September 20th of 2021. Unfortunately, beat the Saints at home. But it has been a full, by the time this pod drops over a calendar year since the Carolina Panthers won a home game, they feel at the national level irrelevant. I can't think of another National Football League team that feels as irrelevant 
as the Panthers do right now. And I have to wonder, A, is that true or am I just playing to a persecution complex here? And B, if it is true, why? All right. This is what I believe. I believe there was an oversaturation of Panther stories because of the Baker thing and leading up to that game, uh, playing Cleveland, you know, that would, there was so much – it was everywhere. There was nothing but that for – well, once Baker got there. So, you know, midsummer when when Baker got to uh, the Carolina Panthers, that's all there was, stories about him facing the Browns for the first time and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And now that's over, and the Panthers are 0-2, and that's where a lot of the league has predicted them to be. So to them, it's no longer a story. I uh, I would uh, first off, I think you're correct. The offseason, Carolina was a very, very interesting target. They were interesting because the majority of the nation thinks that Matt Rule is on the hot seat. Whether we agree with that or not, right now it doesn't matter. The country thought he was. A lot of people obviously were involved uh, with some of the off off the field stuff, right? David Tepper's negotiations with Rock Hill, which. Looking at it now, I'm, I'm, you know, I try to be as fair in my criticisms as I possibly can, as often as I can, but it looks like that was Rock Hill's fault, not David Tepper's. But people were paying attention to that because it was easy to look down on David Tepper when that whole thing fell apart, especially if you were in South Carolina. And then I think you're exactly right about the Baker Mayfield thing, right? When Baker showed up in Carolina after all the drama that happened in Cleveland, after the drama with Sam Darnold last year, I think there were a lot of eyeballs that were focused on this team. But my thing is, that gives you a foundation on which to grow going into the season. We actually had the eyes of the NFL's national media turn to Charlotte for a while. And because of where we are right now, that relevance is completely gone, right? Completely gone. Now, leading up to the season, there were a handful of guys and gals out there in the national media that were saying, hey, look, Carolina's a dark horse playoff team. They've got the talent on paper to make it to the wild card. You know, if if the Saints fall apart, if the rest of the NFCs uh, bounces their way, Carolina is a genuine threat to make it as a wild card team. And now 2-0, and we mentioned in the pod a couple of days ago that since the expansion to the 14-team playoff, zero 0-2 teams have made it to the playoffs since the expansion, right? So now all of a sudden, we're not even in that, we're not even in that discussion. That's not even being talked about anymore. I think the problem here is even at 0-2, you, you've got to either have an established identity or some success to lean on, right? Because the 0-2 Raiders are still being talked about. The 0-2 Bengals are still being talked about. The 0-2 Titans are still being talked about. The only other team that's 0-2 and not being talked about is the Atlanta Falcons at this point, but they knew the transition period, the rebuild year they were going into. How do we establish an identity that gets us back to relevance because it's not just important in the season Lonzo but it's important when the season is over 
And it's time to start trying to get guys to come to Charlotte and play for the silver and blue. If you're not relevant, you're an afterthought to those guys, and it's got to change now. Well, the frustrating part is, and I'm sure we'll get into this, is how they've lost. It's not like the Panthers are getting blown out. It's not like both those losses were horrible things that they didn't belong on the field. They were right there in the to the end of both games, had a shot to win the game. That makes it frustrating from from a Panther fan standpoint. The only way you become relevant is to win. And not just win, but beat teams that you're not supposed to beat. So, And this is a very young season. It really is. We're only two games in. I, uh, I love that. I, I, I get it. But I would also make the argument, right, because we've we've leaned on, and I think it's fair to lean on, but we've leaned on, hey, we lost game one via a 56-yard field goal, game two via a 58-yard field goal. We're, we're right there, right? But there, there's another element to that, which is, right, but if you don't fumble the opening kickoff, you're not there. If you don't fumble later in the first half, you're not there. If you're not in game one dropping four uh, four snaps on the ground, a couple turning into turnovers. You're not in a spot where you're 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 competing. Uh, we don't need to be risking 56 and 58 yard field goals. We need to be up four or five, so they got to go the length of the field and score there. And you know, I'm I'm kind of at the point where I was sitting here before the pot. I'm like, okay, what is my own answer to this question? Right. We need relevancy. We need to establish relevancy. We need to get ourselves into a conversation where, like the Bengals, and maybe that's not fair because they're coming off a Super Bowl run, but maybe like the Raiders, where when we drop to 0-2, you pop it on to Espen, you pop it on to Fox, you pop it on to whatever website, and there are articles going, what's wrong with this team? What's happening to this team? What is going sad? What's going sideways with this team? And nobody's asking that, right? Like, we're, we're, it just, it's expected that this is where we're going to be. And there doesn't seem to be anything happening to change the narrative. And while I'm not super worried about this year, because yes, unfortunately, I think making the playoffs is a dramatically long shot for us this season. The question is, how do you establish an identity? How do you establish relevancy between now and week 18 so that when we miss the playoffs and the next season rolls around, we can talk the defensive ends and the linebackers of the world that are free agents into coming to Carolina? Because right now, I don't know how you do that. It's It comes down to winning games. It also comes down to if Christian McCaffrey is leading the league in, in uh, all-purpose yards, if someone on the defense, like let's say Brian Burns is leading the league in sacks, there are things that can that can draw people in. If they see, especially players, well, money always helps, but if, if you're a player and you look and you think that they're just one player away from really doing something and you're that guy, then you're going to come in. But if they go, let's say, 0-6 and, and they fire the coach and you're in transition again, then you're not going to get people to come there. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports 
Center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, let's get to another thing I wanted to talk about, and this is this is more on the field so we can talk some actual football. Right before the season started, you and I, Lonzo, were both very, very excited because we thought, you know what? Even if it's Baker, even if it's Sam, the good news is we seem to have a wide receiver core this year that could threaten to be one of the best in the league. DJ, Robbie, Terrence, Shy. Added a couple more guys leading up to the uh, the beginning of the season. The kid from Jacksonville, et cetera. It looked yeah, like... Throw the, throw the tight ends in there, too. Sure. And Thomas, throw, throw, throw the tight ends in there. It looked like, and certainly with McCaffrey out of the backfield, it looked like we were going to have a really, really good lineup of wide receivers. And I was pretty pumped about that, to be honest with you. I, I, I thought that this was... I thought that this was something we could lean on. Uh, It has not been. It's just not been. Uh, You know, we've had some moments out of DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. We've had a couple of big plays. Terrence Marshall Jr. has played six snaps. Shai Smith, a guy that you and I were both very high on coming in to start the year, has had, what, three or four drops on the year of catchable footballs, not like, Middle of double car. I mean, catchable footballs that have just been dropped. Uh, Chanel Jr. has been inactive for two games and did not play in the other one. Uh, we just have not been. And, and, and I'm asking this question because the question is, is this on the receivers or is this more ammunition into the gun of Baker Mayfield's just not that good because the, the 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 truth lies somewhere in the middle there, right? It's either or, or it's the offensive line is so bad that it wouldn't matter if we had a Pro Bowl quarterback and wide receiver. The truth is somewhere in the middle of the offensive line is so bad that the offensive passing game can't get going, that the wide receivers are really good and Baker Mayfield's bad, or the Baker Mayfield is being held back by his wide receivers because I can't come up with a fourth option. See, I would pull back from all that and just look at the two games and realize the Panthers are one play away in both games from winning the game. Just one play away. Well, you get down there and you get in the end zone instead of uh, kicking a field goal, you're probably going to win that game. Both games. Both games. And both games they lost by long field goals. Those are not – it was like 56 and 58, I think, if I recall correctly. Those are not average field goals. So they're giving up. Uh, I, it's not as bad as it seems. 0-2 stinks. Don't get me wrong there. It absolutely does. I don't think there's one thing you can look at and go, okay, there's the problem. We need to fix it. Sure I can. 14 of 29, 145 yards and a touchdown. So you're gonna, That's you're, what I'm going to say is You're going to blame it on Baker even though, no, no, no. Even no, though no, no, receivers no, dropped the ball. No, I literally asked the question. Is this Baker? Is this the receivers? Is the offensive line? Because no, less than 50%, less than 150 yards in one touchdown against a middle-of-the-pack passing defense 
is not good enough. Now, I'm not saying it is Baker's fault. It is the wide receiver's fault. It is the offensive line's fault. I'm saying it is somebody's fault or some combination of all three. But yes, in a game, that one touchdown would have made the difference. Heck, one more field goal would have made the difference potentially. Yes, I can say definitively that 14 of 29 for 145 and a touch and a 75 passer rating is not good enough. But I think it comes down to how do you fix it, and they just need to play better. I know it's, I know it's, yeah, duh. Obviously, they need to play better. I get that they do need to play better, but they just need to get a little bit more crisp. You can look at uh, is part of it the fact that the receivers and the quarterback do not have the chemistry that they need to have yet because the coaching staff decided to split reps during training camp. I mean, you can use that as an excuse, but the receivers. Here's the thing, like Shy Smith. You made it to the NFL. Why? Because you're good enough to make it to the NFL. That means you actually caught the ball sometime. You caught it when you played for the South Carolina Gamecocks. You were good enough there on bad teams to excel to the point that you made it to the NFL. These guys can catch the ball and they're not catching it. And sometimes it might be a matter of touch as far as is Baker throwing the ball too hard or is he – throwing it into coverage where they can't catch the ball. But mostly the drops that have happened have been wide-open field drops. I agree. And, you and know, that- the same thing happened last year with the Kansas City Chiefs and with some other teams where the quarterback got all the blame even though the receivers were dropping the ball. Just, just catch the ball. They catch the ball on those when they're right in your hands. It, we're, we're probably talking about the Panthers being 2-0 and and not 0-2. I mean, again – and, and I guess that's why I asked the question is, is this all dropsies? And on top of that, could the ball be thrown better if Baker wasn't having to run for his life as much? Could the ball just be thrown better by Baker in general? The truth is somewhere in the middle of that, right? Like if I draw three dots and one is the offensive line's bad, one's the wide receivers are playing poorly and one's the quarterback's playing poorly. The truth is somewhere in that scale, and I'm just not exactly sure where to put it. Now, now listen, if you go series by series, there are some series in both these games, especially this last game, where you go, man, if they could do that every time they're out on the field. So they can be crisp. Everything can work well, and when it works well, it looks really good. They just cannot find a way to be consistent with it. I agree. So, you know, what is – what is the fix here? If the truth is somewhere in between those three things, and listen, uh, you know, I mentioned it. I went and I looked up the Carolina Panthers uh, pro football focus grades for week two, and, and I'm not, I'm not huge on the grades. I'm not huge on the numbers. They're not like the end all be all for me. But the offensive line actually made higher marks. We, we've we've mentioned, obviously, a couple of times the concerns that we have at the left tackle spot with Iki Aquanu. There are growing pains. We knew that there are going to be growing pains. I said in every pod leading up to week one, Iki is going to have growing pains at the left tackle spot that are going to have to be fixed. They were prevalent. I wouldn't argue that they were the biggest problem in week number two. But there were a couple of big spots where Icky overset, moved out of his spot, the spacing was bad, got beat to the inside, and Baker either had to run for his life, throw it away, or eat the sack. And that's a major problem. Uh, But 
you also mentioned it. You're exactly right. There were a number of drops by receivers. Those have got to go away, especially in tough spots, because as long as you don't have Shy or Marshall or the rest of these guys stepping up to make themselves a threat, you create a situation in which DJ and Robbie are facing the best defenses throw, and they, they can't do it by themselves. Here is one more thing that I think would open up that game a little bit. I am fine with the number of touches that Christian McCaffrey got in this game. No way. Needs 10 more. At least he, 10 had, more. he had 15 carries. He had five targets. That is 20 touches scheduled for Christian McCaffrey. Why, why not five more carries and five more targets? We've had this discussion over and over because I don't want him busting his knee out. Right? If we have any chance, any chance of a wild card spot, I don't want his knee shattered because if McCaffrey goes down, the season's over. He's a football player. Football players play. Put him on the field. Let him play. I get it, and I wholeheartedly disagree. Because, as you met, you said last week, I said no 0-2 team has made the 14-team expanded playoff, and your response was it's a small sample size, right? It's only been this way for a few years. It's a small sample size, and I agree. And at some point, we are going to have an 0-2 team that makes the playoffs. And what the hey, maybe it's us this year, right? Maybe it's us. Maybe we find a way to go two and one through the next three at home. And what do you know? You put us on an inside track because you beat the Saints. They lost to Tampa. Now you got an equal record with New Orleans in the NFC. Who knows? Who knows? If we do, and you want any chance of getting there, McCaffrey's got to play a whole season, which he has not done in three years. Got to have him. I can't overload him. Yeah, but but if you go through the entire season and you only win like five or six games and you didn't play him hardly in at all, what good did it do? Is he five games worth of difference good? Yes. Yes, he is. The risk you take. And, and, and you know, one thing that all of us have to learn the lesson about in life is that sometimes you've got to make a decision and regardless of the outcome of that decision, you will never get to know if the other other decision was better, right? Like in a video game, you, you, you come to a major plot point and you make a decision and they go, do you want to help this side or this side? And you make a choice and you get over there and then you realize, oops, I picked the bad guys and now I'm on the bad guy team. You can go back to the last save point and join the other team and see what it would have been like if you made the right call. And they like that in real life, right? If you run McCaffrey instead of 20 times, 30 times at a game and he pops his knee... You can't go back and undo that, but the flip side is true as well, and I acknowledge that, that if I only run him 15 to 20 times a game and we win six games and miss the playoffs by two, do I know that two or three of those games that I only ran him that many times would have turned into wins if he did? There's no way to know that. So all I can do is make the best possible decision, and I think keeping it healthy is that. But here's what I wanted to talk about with 22 we got to be more creative with him, right? We've got to be more creative with him. Uh, handoffs, straight-up handoffs, off-guard, off-tackle to McCaffrey. You're fine. you got to throw a few in there to keep defenses honest. Yeah, during this game, they two in a row, and he got a first down. So, right. I, I mean, he is capable of doing that. I get what you're saying. You don't want to do that every down. Well, it's not just you don't want to – right, you don't want to do that every down for a number of reasons. Number one, again, I don't want to run him right into the teeth of a defense over and 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 over again. The second aspect of it is, if you are running stuff with McCaffrey that is not just, hey, turn around and hand it off to 22. If you got him coming out of the backfield, 
running sweeps, lining up at the slot, coming off edge, whatever. You create a situation where the defense has to play to Christian McCaffrey. They have to play honest to run CMC. And if they play honest to run CMC, it is going to open up the floor for the rest of the guys on offense. All of the sudden, the linebacker that is lined up spying on 22 who gets dragged out of the formation when he goes out on a wheel route or a dump route, all of a sudden, that seam route opens up for an Ann Thomas over the middle. Or when you send 22 out to the slot back, and you're going to run him up the hash mark, now all of the sudden, that cover corner or that over-the-top safety, that would be shaded over towards DJ to stop him from hauling in one of those big plays. Now all of a sudden, he's got to play the middle of the field, honestly, because 22's coming out there, right? And if he gets the ball in space, ain't nobody touching him. It's not that the play calling from Ben McAdoo is bad. I think he calls a fine game. It's that it's not creative in the least. There's there's no imagination to it. There's no ingenuity to it. And I think when there's no imagination and no ingenuity to it, especially when you've got McCaffrey back there, you create a situation in which defenses like Cleveland and New York can basically just line up and play smash-mouth football. And right now today, we're not a team that can win a smash-mouth football game. We have got to be more creative with the weapons we have or we're going to keep getting the same results, which is what we got the last two Sundays. All right, last thing I wanted to get in here. We talked a little about it uh, a little bit about it on the last pod. The next three games for the Panthers are crucial. We have a three home game stand coming up. Two of them are actually in the second window at 4.05. Obviously this week, home against the Saints. That's a one o'clock divisional game. Then against the Cardinals, 4.05 kick. Then against the 49ers. I also mentioned that the next five games are big because it's a murderer's row. You got the Saints coming in. I am not thinking the Saints are bad, but they are beatable. We've seen that now. Falcons should have beat them in week one. Tampa did beat them in week two. That's a team that is also, by the way, about eight inches worth of field goal away from being 0-2 as well. That's a beatable team. But it is a divisional rivalry. It is a divisional matchup. And you better believe the Saints are going to come in angry after the loss to Tampa. Then you got Arizona. Then you got San Francisco. And what do you got after that? On the road at the defending Super Bowl champions, LA Rams. Not what we thought they were going to be. Still a very good team. And then you are back home on the 23rd to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom Brady coming to town. Brady's going to get better as the season goes on. I have no doubt about it. That'll be a tough game. The next three games at home. I am going to put this on the radar right now. It might feel early. It might feel bad. If we go 0-3 in these three games, Lonzo, Matt Rule has to go. Regardless of how you feel about him, regardless of how you feel about him as a rebuilding guy, regardless of your emotion about moving on from a head coach in the middle of the season, if we start the year 0-5 and cannot win a home game in a calendar year plus another month, 
he's got to go. It's got to be over at that point. All right, so I think you're giving it more than what most people are because if you chart back, longest losing streak in the NFL yep. right now are Nine the Carolina games. Panthers. If you go 0-3 this year, you know I thought he could weather storms, and he, he did last year, and I think COVID played into it. You go 0-3, I don't think he makes it past that. I don't because you got to go back to and, and the, you're saying if he loses to New Orleans this week, yes, he needs to go. Yes, I, I, I'm I not, did not get. A, I did not expect to get one up here. I am not saying needs to go, but will go. I, I mean, in my opinion, I'm still looking at the fact of how close those last two games are, and you got to wonder a different coach. Do they win? I don't think so because it was player mistakes both games. And, and do you bring in uh, a disciplinarian and then suddenly they catch the ball better? Or have, I, I don't know that, that that fixes that, especially not right away. But because I, I know that you were talking about the fact that the Panthers are, are kind of flying under the radar now, they're irrelevant to a degree, that's the problem. That's a major problem. The one thing that they are being talked about is a fact what as I look at Twitter right now and Matt Rule is still trending because people believe this is it that he's gone. Uh, there are wings places out there that are saying, hey, if he gets fired, <laughs> you get ten free wings. And that I believe is in the Charlotte area. So there are the usual fan base grumblings, but in this case, I think it's got some uh got some truth to it. If he does if the Panthers don't beat New Orleans, I think he's gone. I, uh, I I think he can make it through losing one at home. I think maybe. Yeah, he but, but 0-3, Rob. You're going 0-3 to start a season. You're going 0-3 to start a season, which is bad. Uh, it's very bad. And, and it basically all but statistically. 0-3 to start a season when you lost how many last year at the end of the year? Most of them. Um, 0-3 to start a season is very very bad. And statistically speaking, it effectively, not mathematically, but statistically speaking, eliminates you from the playoffs. Matt Rule was looked at as a guy that does three-year turnarounds, right? Three-year turnaround at Temple, three-year turnaround at Baylor. He's a guy that is known for three-year turnarounds. Well, this is year number three. And even if you say, we're going to give you year three as one of the rebuild years, right? Let us not forget that the New York Giants weren't exactly good last year. They got a first-year head coach. They just beat us, right? Matt Rule is in three uh, in year three. Uh, as much as I, I, I'm not ready to write off Baker at this point, right? A lot of people are. A lot of people are like, all right, he just is what he is, right? He just is what he is. He's a quarterback that's good enough if you build a team around him, but not a guy that you can put the team on his shoulders and he'll carry you. I'm not giving up on him, but two weeks of less than 150 yards passing offense against average defenses is not good. If he drops one in New Orleans, I can't really be mad about it. Uh, again, it's a it's a, it's a one-on-one football team, a team that – Took Tom Brady until deep into the fourth quarter to get a win over uh, a, a team that went into Atlanta in opening week and got a win. It's not the end of the world, but if they drop one to New Orleans, they drop one to Arizona, and now Jimmy Garoppolo, who, yes, I believe is better than Trey Lance today, Jimmy Garoppolo and his Niners come to town. We're going to be six-and-a-half-point dogs in that game, too, 
if we go 0 for 3, which makes us 0 and 5 to start the year, it's done. He's got to go. I don't care if it's midseason. It's not even midseason. I don't even know. Like, who's the answer? Who's the guy you pull the trigger on? I don't know. I'd tell you if he goes 0-5, I'd be happier with Brian Flores on the sideline. You're not going to get Byron Leftwich out of Tampa this year, but maybe you could line him up for next year. Uh, I know there's a lot of a lot of backseat drama with Eric Bieniemy from his past, but obviously what he's doing at KC is maybe worth a look. Maybe Kellen Moore down in Dallas. There, there are names that I'm willing to take a shot on. Because if we go 0-5 to start the year, if Matt Rule opens this thing up 0-5, which, by the way, would put us on a 14-game losing streak, right? And then, after a 14-game losing streak to Arizona and San Francisco, we would come out of that with the LA Rams and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Lonzo, if we were to drop all those games, and I, I, I listen, I'm not, th- I'm not saying we will, Five games, even the worst NFL teams are going to pick up a win here and there. But if we drop the next three, I suspect we're going to drop to L.A. and Tampa. You know what that does to us? That's 0-16. That is 0-16. That is that is a, a season to never remember, ask Detroit fans. 0-16. I don't care where you are in a rebuild. I don't care if you have fired everybody and have rebuilt a team from an XFL roster you can't go 0 and 16. The thing is, uh, watching uh, Matt Rule and all the press conferences and everything that he's done since uh, the game Sunday, does he look like a guy who thinks he's about to lose his job? Does he look like a guy that's about to go into panic mode and try some things maybe he shouldn't try? Or does he look like a guy who wants to win but also knows there might possibly be a job awaiting him somewhere else if he were to just go ahead and, you know, uh, after losing to New Orleans, go, Nebraska looks good. Maybe maybe I head to Nebraska. Yeah, and, and listen, that's a real possibility. I was I was watching through some of his post-game pressers, and he had the quote. He said, quote, I just want to make sure I say that we're close. I believe that with all my heart. I think we're so close. We're coming down the stretch, but we haven't found a way to get it done, and that's my job to get over that last hump. It's the hardest part, end quote. And I get that, man. He's, he's right, though. I mean, he's, uh, we've been pointing this out the entire time. It isn't like they've been getting blown out. They've lost to uh, by a field goal at the end of both games. Right. And again, against average and below average teams, All right, so, you have scraped out so with Cleveland, a close game. With Cleveland, I agree. With the Giants, we don't know that for sure. I mean... F- Going by history, yeah, the Giants are probably average, but they're two and zero. What if what if we get to that uh, threshold that you're talking about, and you look over and you see the Giants are undefeated? Here's my question: Matt Rule has been the head coach for 35 games. They are 10 and 25. He's been the head coach for going into and now in through his third year. We are 0 and 9 in our last nine. We have not won a home game in over a calendar year at this point, which is a full season. We have not won a, a home game at this point. I I get it. Oh, we're still growing. We're so close, et cetera, et cetera. How long do we have to be okay with we're close? I think you take a year out of there. I think I think one of those years doesn't count. And Why? Because of COVID. No. 
everybody else had to play through COVID too. Right, right. And and all those people take those years out too. I, 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 I mean, disagree. There's a reason why in college people are getting six years of eligibility. There's a lot of things. That, that thing, yeah, I realize everybody was kind of in the same boat, but everybody wasn't because not every team was affected the same way. I think you take a year out of there. It's still bad, but not as bad as it, it, it could have been if you include that year. I uh, I don't know, man. I just I, I'm I'm my patience is wearing thin now, and I'm not. I'm like I'm at the point now where even as a fan, I'm like I, I've I've just I've got to be honest with this. My patience is at the point where I am. It is just running thin. I'm running out uh, but of it. Where at this point. where is David Tepper's patience? That's the real question. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And in fact, uh, yesterday I was jumping around on the like the Carolina Panthers subreddit and stuff, and the overwhelming majority of people are like, "Why is Pe- why 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 are we not doing anything? Like, why is Tepper okay with this?" Right? Uh, there are thoughts that, and I'm a fan of this other team, but there are thoughts that his mind is preoccupied with Charlotte FC right now, his MLS project, which has been drawing pretty good numbers and has been a decent squad this year. There are thoughts that he's focused on that. There are thoughts that he is focused on making BOA a more, you know, 12 month a year stadium with concerts and stuff that he's just not really concerned about the success of or failure of the Carolina Panthers because they're making money. Uh, and, and I will give you one thought on that. I was on Facebook earlier today and up came an advertisement to buy a Carolina Panthers PSL, right? A personal seat license, which is for $21 a month over the course of the year, you have the right to buy season tickets for lots of hundreds of more dollars. Most teams put up those posts and you can like go in and comment, read the comments because they like fans talking to fans. Carolina has shut down all their social media replies. You can't reply to them. Why? Because at this point, they understand that the majority of fans have nothing good to say about the team, right? I was reading earlier an entire thread, and I understand that the internet is 1% of 1% of fans, but their entire threads on Reddit right now of people like, I'm embarrassed to be a Carolina fan right now. Nobody's talking about us. When they do, they're laughing, et cetera, et cetera. And we're just like nothing's changing. And all that happens is after every loss, we get told by the coaching staff, we're close. We're close. We're right there. It's, it's, just, it's, the, it's the last hump. We're right there. We're just about over the hump. And I absolutely think it's fair for Carolina fans to be asking, when do we get over the hump, right? Like, when do we stop? I've got a, I've got a buddy of mine that is dating a woman. They've been dating for like four years now right? Like four years now. And the better half, she's ready for that ring, right? Like she's ready, just like Carolina fans are, she's ready for that ring. She wants the ring. And every time we go out, it's always jokes, right? Like how come you guys aren't engaged, blah, blah, blah. And the dude, when they first got together, it was like, okay, when we get here and they did that. And then it was when I get this job and he got that job. And then it was when I buy a house and he got a house. Then it goes, okay, when I buy a bigger house for our family and he got a bigger house. And then it's now I got to get a fence put in and now I got to do this and I need that. And I got to get this car and I got to change the tires and I got to do that. And there's just always one more thing to push it down the road to the point that we're all like, dude, like pull the trigger, man. Like either pull the trigger or let her loose. 
pull the trigger or tell her you're just not going to do anything to fix it so she can decide if she's okay with the scenario is or if she's going to walk. And I kind of feel like it's the same situation at this point where we just keep getting told we're close, right? We just got to build the house. Then we got to build the fence. Then we got to get the pool put in. Then we got to get the bigger room for the baby. Then we got to get the new car. Then I got to do this. Then I got to do that. It, it, it always seems like we're close. And there's never a, and I understand coaches don't want to give away game plans, but it doesn't feel like there is a solid plan for here's the next step so that we stop being close and start being there. It's it's frustrating to be a Carolina Panther fan right now. It absolutely is because they get you on the edge and you're thinking, okay, this is it. We're going to win this game. We're going to win this game. And then you don't. You don't. And we've seen teams in the past be on the edge of something. And some of those teams, when they get over that edge, they do something great. And some of them never do get over that edge. I don't know where the Panthers are right now. I do. I feel more positive than I do negative. As positive as you can feel being 0-2, I feel pretty positive about the fact that I think they're showing signs of being better than what they were last year. I agree. I agree with that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's our midweek pod. Coming up on Friday, Friday, got to get down on Friday, it will be time for our preview pod. Of course, that is going to be us looking forward and ahead to this weekend's matchup. We are at home, 1 o'clock, taking on the Saints. I will actually be at this game, as a matter of fact. Uh, looking forward to getting up to Charlotte. So, go follow me at the Rob Brown Show. Find my beautiful, shining face. And if you see me walking around the bank on Sunday, please come up, say hello. Tell me what you like and don't like about the pod. Make sure you are following us on social media at the Rob Brown Show, at Lonzo on Word on Twitter. And as always, do us a favor. Tell your friends about us. If you've got a Panthers fan, a Panthers friend, some Panthers family, or you see a cat walking down the street in a Panthers hat, tell them about the Views from Mint Street podcast so that we can keep bringing you the most recent and up-to-date and hottest takes on all things Carolina Panthers. Any final words for the people, though? Unleash CMC, it leads to victory. Unleash him for 20 touches this weekend. For That's 30. what I'm looking for. For 30. For 30. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we got the Saints. We'll break that pod down for you on Friday. Give you all the X's and O's for Lonzo Wright. My name is Rob Brown. We'll see you back here on Friday for more views from Mint Street. Keep pounding, baby.